Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Outer Sanctum is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respect to their elders past and present. Good plan. Good plan. Who thought of this one? You're listening to the Outer Sanctum podcast. Here is a moment in time in the history of the AFL. Welcome to the Outer Sanctum for another week. My name is Emma Race, and if I'm the hot pie, then the cold drinks are my football finals love and sanctum sisters. I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Oh, hello. It is Lucy Race here. Hi, I'm Kate Sear, and I'm from Twig River High School, <laughs> a proud public school product. I am Rana Hussain, and I'm from Lather Hall, private school educated, which I feel uncomfortable about. It's funny from a private school, completely unnecessary for you to be wearing your blazer to the pod this morning, Rana. The finals drama just went up to 11 today with Toby Green being suspended for the rest of the year for shaping up and chest bumping the field umpire, Matt Stevick. It's the tale of two Tobys, don't you reckon? He's always a little bit from column A and a little bit from column B. This is his 22nd charge and his seventh suspension. Before we get into what your highlights were of the round, can I get a feeling for where are you at with Toby? Like where does he sit on your, if Mother Teresa is at one end and Joffrey from Game of Thrones is at the other, where is he on the scale for you guys? <laughs> Katie? Oh, for me, he's just to the right of Joffrey, actually. I'm not a fan. I'm not, I have to be honest, I'm not a fan. I think he's a terrific player. But, you know, he just consistently finds himself in challenging situations. As our very good friend, uh, Tess Armstrong, pointed out on the group chat the other day, he's just, he's such an unlucky guy because he just continues to find himself coincidentally, uh, you know, in these awkward situations, getting going before the tribunal and getting suspended. I think the suspension was good to see, but I actually would have liked to see him get a bit longer too. Well, it's interesting because it looks like the AFL might actually be appealing this decision themselves. Lucy, where do you sit with Tommy Green? Again, love watching him play. I don't like the the other stuff and I really didn't like what I saw when he was walking off the field and I was pretty shocked actually by the discourse around whether he should be suspended or not, whether he there was anything to answer for. And absolutely there was. I always come back to what trickles down to junior sport, to community sport, and it's just not a look that you want to see. There, In so many other codes, it would just not even be a conversation. You'd just be done. You'd just be rubbed out. Like you cannot touch the umpire. You can't behave that way. Luke Hodge made an absolute noodle of himself trying to get Toby off this charge. Rana, how did you feel about it? It wasn't just Luke Hodge. There was a whole array of ex-players who went in to bat for Toby Green. And that's where I have the issues. In the chat group, I was 
<laughs> probably in Toby's corner. I agree that he is an excellent player and I can see why people would want him on their team up until the point where he is showing really bad behavior and that's where he loses me. And I don't like hearing that people think he's the best player because how could he be the best player when he constantly gets suspended, when he shows such poor behavior on field? It comes down to what your definition of the best is and it's clear that for some people poor behaviour isn't a big deal. I was shocked that the umpire, Matt Stevie, kind of went with the bro code. I didn't think they had to submit to that, oh, it didn't hurt me and I could see that he was thinking about something else. I thought he could so easily walk in there and say, the rule is you can't touch an umpire. I wonder whether he was going with the bro code or whether that actually was his experience. All we can do is listen to him and trust that he's bringing his honest interpretation of events to, to the proceedings. What I think is really good is that Dill, Toby, was found guilty because the way that it looked to everybody else is actually really important. Yeah, that, that actually know, that does it, matter what it looks like to everyone else. It does else. matter what it looks like, yeah. Yeah. I feel a bit told off by you there, but that's okay. I think that what I'm saying is <laughs> I thought that the umpire would be able to walk in and say, you can't touch an umpire, end story. Yeah, I, it's interesting. I actually read his evidence and thought he was quite measured. He said that he didn't feel that it was aggressive and he didn't feel intimidated or threatened by him, but that he agreed that it was not a good look. And in that sense, actually, I thought he was speaking to what the criteria in the tribunal rules are, which allow for a suspension on several different grounds, including if you engage in conduct that is, or contact that is demonstrative, forceful, aggressive, or disrespectful. And I think it's the dis disrespectful ground that Toby Green ultimately was suspended on. So I, yeah, I felt like he was speaking in a way that the tribunal, Mr P, as we like to call him, <laughs> might, might have understood. There was a lot of other amazing games. There was so many things to cheer for. Rana, your D's, mate. I feel so good, which is very weird <laughs> for a D supporter and being in lockdown and everything else. It brought me so much joy. Anything beyond this is a bonus. They did make prelims in 2018. There wasn't a feeling around them the way there is now and, that, and that's the nice part this time and does feel like everybody else is also behind them. Well, the thing about them is that they've got incredible depth, right? They're in an excellent place, I think, and, of course, they haven't won a grand final in 57 years. One thing I wanted to talk about is the Norm Smith curse, which <laughs> doesn't get enough of a run in my, in my view because this is apparently, according to some people, the sole reason why... The D's haven't won a grand final in nearly six decades. And I don't know if you all know the story behind the curse, but it's pretty funny. Norm Smith was associated with nine Melbourne flags between the 1930s and the 1960s. And then midway through the 1965 season, when I think they were second on the ladder, he was sacked. And it was a sensational sacking that shocked the football world. He said, the club will never recover. And this is now considered to be that kind of utterance is the curse that he put over the club. But what I discovered was Melbourne then played its next game and lost and they reinstated him two days later. <laughs> Which is just hilarious, right? I can't imagine that happening in this day and age. But the curse stuck. And so I've been thinking about how <laughs> Melbourne can go about cancelling out the curse. And I reckon what they should do is sack Simon Goodwin now <laughs> and reinstate him in time for the prelim as a kind of reverse juju or whatever so that Melbourne go on to win the flag. They were on a break, Kate. They were just on a break. <laughs> <laughs> it was the Ross and Rachel defence. Yeah. <laughs> 
I don't know what they did in that time. They were broken up or on a break. Clearly Norm Smith thought that they were broken up and Melbourne were like, no, no, we're just on a break. <laughs> this is my own curse and I just feel like every D supporter is going to hate me saying this, but oh, I think no. it's theirs to lose. Oh. Well, I think there would be some people to argue and I think they would be wearing a black, white and teal jumper mm. because Port Adelaide was so impressive. I think we will see a Melbourne Port Adelaide grand final. That's my call. Melbourne Port Adelaide in Perth. That's how you get everyone oh. invested and everyone <laughs> excited, isn't it? Well, it's their national comp. <laughs> you just need someone from Queensland to win the halftime sprint. I have a question. Were Geelong kicking it straight to Aaliyah Aaliyah or is he just that good? He's just everywhere. <laughs> I think they're going to be hard to beat. Well, another person who was just brilliant for Port on the weekend was Travis Boak. Not to be confused with Travis Cloak, and I'm not going to name names, but... One of our friends confused the two the other day. And so if you listen right through to the end of the pod, we have a little tribute to Travis. It's called Song for Travis, Boke, Not Cloak. Have you guys been watching the Paralympics? There's been, uh, I mean, the medal tally is just going off for Australia. We're doing so well. The one thing that caught my attention this week was the fact that if you win a gold medal in the Olympics, you get $20,000 from the Australian government. If you win a gold medal in the Paralympics, you get zero. There is a petition that you can sign. It's on social media. And that's really, for me, where social media comes into its own. Katie, what have your highlights been? For me, it's Kurt Fernley, who is a multiple Paralympian gold medalist himself, one of the most accomplished athletes ever ever produced in this country and he's joined the commentary team this time and his knowledge and insights have been extraordinary. His enthusiasm is absolutely infectious. He's just so joyful and so good to watch and most of all he has been using the platform that he has earned to extraordinary effect. He's been introducing vital and urgent observations on the lives of people with disability. He's been talking about stigma and discrimination. He's been pushing back against some of the really patronising framing of disabled people's lives. It's been so informative and educational. He will be having an enormous impact in the lounge rooms around Australia. That taps into something that was a real highlight for me too, Kate, and that was watching Madison de Rosario when she won that gold medal in the T53 800 metres. She's a four-time Paralympian. She won silver three times. She was the world record holder. There was so much pressure going into this race and she smashed it. Kurt called it a perfect race. But I also loved her interview post-race where she talked about how disability is often just put under one big umbrella and often that is, you know, talked about in terms of people being dependent or, or what supports people need and that the Paralympics is extending that conversation to talk about people who are exceptional. She said this one thing, which I'd like to read you a quote. She said, no one should have to justify the space that they take up and people with disabilities shouldn't have to be exceptional in order to be accepted. So she's kind of talking about, let's lose the stereotype. Let's bring nuance. Let's understand that there are so many people with disabilities who are all individuals who have all different things to offer and it shouldn't come down to being exceptional to be accepted, which I just loved. It's such a good point. And it, often I've heard that from culturally diverse people as well in football. Do you have to be Basha Hooli to be accepted and be one of the gang? And that's often the argument for representation everywhere. Something that caught my eye, it's actually a fan engagement activation that Toyota have done on social media with Twitter 
ahead of the Paralympics, which was they showcased different athletes about to compete in different things in different sports. And then you could opt in to get pinged when they're about to compete. So you could then go and switch on and follow their trajectory. And I just thought that that was amazing, that kind of coming together of, yes, brand and marketing, but also advocacy and accessibility. And it was that sweet spot that I love that pushes people. So it was driving audience, which will then drive more investment into the games and disability services. That's the kind of creative innovation that I want to see from businesses and brands when it comes to inclusion and diversity. Oh, that's leading into something that I really want to talk about later on in the pod today, Rana. All right, let's roll up our sleeves and melee, ladies. The grand final has moved to Perth. COVID has created a moment of fairness for WA footy fans. And I just read that Australia's greenhouse emissions fell 5% last year. There's a lot of things that are happening because of this COVID-induced lockdown. But COVID has wreaked havoc with other plans, programs, and social equity plans. My question to you today is, What are we going to accept in a post-COVID world? I'm going to come to you first, Rana. (laughs) That is the question on my mind all day, every day, because, of course, I work at a national sporting organisation. I also do work with the AFL still, and COVID has really bursted our bubble. We had some momentum when it comes to inclusion and diversity, and COVID's really thrown that out. And now what I see and what I hear is lack of budget, burnout. So it's not just the money side of it. The staff on the ground doing the work are exhausted and tired and just cannot take on, feel like they cannot take on another thing. And then that ability to think ahead is also really diminished that it's so hard at the moment to think about the future when the present is so chaotic and what do you do? How do you even just put on the season at hand? So all of that has meant that when you're doing that cultural change work, people might agree that the work needs to be done, but the capacity to do it isn't there. And so the outer part of my brain wants to say, if we keep pushing and if our voices keep pushing the organisations, the work will get done because that's how pressure works. The person on the inside doing the work wants to say, hang on a minute, just we need to take a breath. We need to accept less at the moment. And something that friend of the pod, Shiloh Curtis, said to me the other day was around pay and the CBA for AFLW players is, while yes, we want equitable pay, maybe at the moment a laser sharp focus needs to be on sufficient pay. So enough money that they can do the job, but their mental health doesn't suffer, that they're that they don't have to take time off work. They can manage this and they can do it and it's sufficient enough for them to get the job done for now. Maybe that's where we need to all pull together and push for. And I like that idea of let's get laser sharp, focus on two to three years at a time. And I feel like that's where it's at. It's a really interesting point because I too have seen within organisations and sporting organisations that the workforce has been whittled down. They're working in such tough environments at the moment with budgets that are being ripped because there's no ability to have crowds or people through the gate, audience, participation, all those things. And I think that it does land really poorly when you push really hard. When we think about the AFL though, When I was reading the Carter report, which is the report into whether or not the AFL should have a Tasmanian team, 
it stated the AFL's purpose and the purpose of the AFL, as stated by themselves, is to progress the game so that everyone can share in its heritage and possibilities. So then I thought, well, actually, aren't these social inclusion programs actually core business? And if they're core business, then maybe that is actually incredibly important for us to be focused on, laser focused on, regardless of what the conditions are that we're working in. So I think that there's an argument for and against. Katie, what's your thought on this? Well, so the cynic in me, <laughs> which is a big part of me, can't help but reflect listening to your honour on the fact that I feel like there's always an excuse for not doing this kind of work. And if it's not COVID, it's something else. I, I've also been reflecting on something that, that I heard on our podcast last week, and that is Lucy, you and Nicole sat down with Michael Warner, who is an investigative journalist, and talked to him on our fifth quarter, which is our uh, second episode that we're putting out each week now, about the book that he just wrote about the AFL. And he said something that's really stuck with me, and that is about the importance of integrity when it comes to decision-making. And for me, that's the key thing. It's about the process. And I think processes for decision-making and resource allocation have to have integrity. And for me, that includes being transparent in the way that you make those decisions and being prepared to lay them bare. The public are the true custodians of the game, as you said, Em, and and I think we often don't understand how decisions have been reached and organisations don't share that information with us, sometimes because it's commercial incompetence, sure, but other times just because they may not see that as their duty. I read an article the other day which also struck me as potentially relevant, and that was a piece by Lauren Stewart and colleagues, including Emma Sherry. It's a study where they interviewed people from nine national sporting organisations And the study is about how those NSOs develop and implement policies for trans athletes. So it's a specific focus, but something really stood out to me like a sore thumb when I was reading that article, and that is that the representatives of other national sporting organisations say that they look to the AFL for guidance. And actually the AFL representative who was interviewed for that study said, we are a community leader, not that we seek it, we just are. And so I don't know whether that's fair or not on the AFL, but I have wondered if other sports are looking to the AFL for guidance in the post-COVID period, because if you're prepared to kind of maintain the status quo or not shake things up too much, I think that gives a bit of a licence to other national sporting organisations to follow suit. And I think that's an important conversation. When we're having this conversation, I'm thinking about putting the AFL in the broader context. And it's interesting that today is Equal Pay Day. And as of today, as of this moment, the gender pay gap has actually widened and it's now out at 14.2%. We know that COVID is impacting people unequally. The other conversation that I don't think many people are having is looking at sport and comparing what's happening in the arts sector. And when you think about art and you think about sport, both of them bring in similar contributions to GDP in this country of around $14.5 billion. But when you think of the numbers of people that are employed in those industries, sport is around 128,000. In the arts, it's closer to 195,000. If we look at what's happened over the last two years, sport has been able to find a way. Governments have helped sport find a way. While that has been happening, productions, concerts, 
comedy are just falling by the wayside and there are so many people who now are not able to actually continue to work in that field. What does that mean in terms of our cultural future? I I really get that there are a lot of challenges for sport in terms of COVID, but you're still getting a piece of pie. That's something that you work with what you've got. I think that what I would say if I was a cynic, which I am, politicians believe that sport can help them win elections. It's interesting thinking about working with the way things are and making it equal and fair. It made me think of an article I saw this week about the Silver Ferns who are doing incredible work in helping athletes continue playing netball at the highest level after or during pregnancy. Dame Nolene Tarua, who is the coach of the Silver Ferns, said, if people want to come back, we will make a plan. We'll put a plan around them and make it work. You can work around anything. And I love that attitude. I think about my role on the outer and how I can be better and what I am willing to accept. Where I'm landing is that I want to be clearer as to what I want to see from sporting bodies as well and also be laser focused in that. I feel like I'm often vague about what I want to see when actually there's probably specific things. Like I want AFLW players to be paid equitably and I maybe when I do use my voice, I can be more specific about that and say, this is what we want. And equally to to Kate's point earlier, like as a fan, I'd be comfortable if I saw the plans or if someone came out and said, yes, we want to get to this point. Here's what we think we can achieve in these, this many years. And that's what we're going to be focusing on. And here's our plan. Like the transparency of that is reassuring. And you want to know that they're working on it. We're not unreasonable people. We understand that there's issues around it. But, you know, that transparency of the plan is key for me. You know what? I think we could all take a leaf out of Oprah's book where she asks you to be intentional. You're probably right, Rana. If we want something, we need to ask for it. We poke around the outside trying to ask for people to join the dots and maybe there's just too much noise for people to join the dots. We just need to be super intentional. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Emma Carney and you're listening to The Outer Sanctum. Another thing that we've been talking a little bit about in the group chat has been calling people out and calling people in and what that means. Does anyone want to have a go at giving the definition of calling out and calling in? Lucy? To keep it really brief and really straightforward, calling out is often public. It's something that's not really inviting a conversation. It's drawing people's attention to something that you don't like. Whereas calling in might tend to be more, you know, done in private and is more inviting a conversation, I guess, showing a bit more compassion and inviting people in to to reflect and to have a conversation. Both of them, I guess, are ways of, of seeking change. Rana, you you kind of, you call in and you call out all the time. They're both exhausting. Yeah, they are. Uh, I I feel like calling. There's a time for both, right? And there's a time when they're both powerful and used in the best possible way. I on the weekend tweeted something that um, got both 
great responses and not so great responses. And it was a really interesting example of how some people felt that what I had tweeted, which was just a comment around uh, media diversity uh, and the work that I do, was received really well. And for some people, it was seen as too much and too aggressive and not in the in not coming from a place of kindness. And I suppose it will land differently for everybody. And I guess it's knowing who you're speaking to. The way I work, because my job is often about raising issues like these, when I'm at work, I'm I'm doing a lot of calling in. It's coming from a place of let's work together. Let's think about solutions. Let's see what we can do and what we already do and, and use our strengths. But I do find on my social media, I'm probably a little bit more calling out because I feel like that's where the impact can be and sometimes that's the pithiest way you can make a statement. So I feel like I'm living in two worlds with this one. The interesting thing is that what you called out was called out by lots of people and Rowan Connolly's actually written a, a great article today talking about how he feels like he's never invited to the party when he's watching the football coverage. And I think more and more people are calling it out. I actually think that that's a real testament to the people in the outer and footy fans really will accept and want in their game and in their code and representing their code. And this is what I was referring to at the start of the show is you talked about Toyota and what they're doing. What we've seen is when we call in through huge platforms, like with the Toyota initiative that you were talking about with the Paralympics, or, and I'm going to say these words, what is a blinder? to you and you're all going to start weeping, that when we are inclusive and when we are intentionally inclusive and we do a what is a blinder or even the NAB minis, when we see there's a real diversity to the NAB minis, that's reflecting us back at ourselves and it makes our hearts sing. And even though that's through corporate Australia, they know where their bread is buttered. I mean, I'm going to quote Samantha from Sex in the City here when she's talking about Smith, the absolute vodka hunk, and she says, first you get the girls, then you get the gays, then you get the yes. industry. I think that's what's <laughs> happening here, right? And so while you're calling out the fact that commentary boxes and commentary teams are still pale male and stale and they've all played 300 games. I just feel like everything around it and everything that supports that is showing us something else. And I think that it's actually a really exciting time. And I think we need the calling out and we need the calling in. And it's not like you haven't done the calling in, Rana, that these conversations about having more diversity in broadcast and having more diversity in just every aspect of the game that is a conversation we've been having for a really long time and not just us. There are so many people having that conversation and it's not always behind a microphone. It's in lots of different spaces. But where I think calling out is is useful is when you're dealing with corporations or with big organisations, especially ones with lots of power that aren't changing, like what are your other options there? You don't really have many other options except to highlight it, which I think is is actually very valid. I've mentioned this a few times, shaming people isn't a great way to get behavioural change. And it comes back to the fact that we're social animals and one of our greatest fears is at a very deep level, very primal level, is being ostracised or rejected by the group. What that can provoke in us is that fight or flight response and that 
is not helpful when you're trying to get people to either change behaviour or to listen to arguments about why things should change or why things should be different. So I think what I'm saying is that we need everything. You know what else? Calling out is not new. We've been calling people out since Abigail said, I saw Goody Proctor with the devil. Let's be honest. <laughs> that really happened. <laughs> well, the McCarthy trials happened. Katie? Although I think there's two problems with those who would critique someone like Rana uh, or any of us for, for calling things out publicly. And I think, first of all, it's that if, you, if you're saying, well, actually what you should have done instead is called in rather than called out, there's an assumption that you have the capacity to do that and that you have access to powerful groups and that, you know, you can just ring the head of Fox Footy and <laughs> tell them that, you know, you want to have a conversation about the fact that all of the people on the coverage this week are white men or whatever it might be. So I think that's pretty unrealistic. Setting expectations around how discourse should happen and then criticising people who do it in public spaces is problematic because it actually narrows opportunities for debate and it, and it risks actually entrenching the very status quo that people are trying to challenge by saying, look, I'm happy for you to challenge it, but I, I don't think you should do it this way. I only think you should do it this way. I think that really plays into the status quo. But the other thing that, you know, I think you were touching on before, Em, when you talked about the many other people who have criticised, say, the lack of diversity in media coverage, people like Rowan Connolly and the like, is that there is a, you know, the reality is that there are, there's a differential response when those complaints and calling out comes from women or trans people or LGBT. IQ populations, black and brown people. And I think this relates to the other problem for me in the critiques of calling out culture. And that is that often what's underpinned, perhaps subconsciously or unconsciously uh, by some people, is this desire to police the tone and the language that's used. And I agree with you, Lou, that, you know, sometimes we can use language that's a bit inappropriate. We can shame people that might not be all that productive. But I think often, and I see this in, you know, responses to your tweet, Rana, and, you know, I think we've all experienced this at times, people often say, well, you need to be more civil or more polite or more gentle or more respectful. And I think, you know, what shapes that is often a sense that these people are less entitled to speak or a discomfort with the fact that these marginalised groups are finally speaking and you don't realise that actually unconsciously you're really put out by the fact that they're having something to say. And I just wanted to share a quote from James Baldwin. He says, People who treat other people as less than human must not be surprised when the bread they have cast on the waters comes floating back to them poisoned. It is why sometimes I don't eat bread. <laughs> I'm not stale a big one for, yeah, stale and mouldy, poison, no. and also carbs. <laughs> Lou? I read a great quote today and I can't remember where it's from, but it was that marginalised people should not have to educate their oppressors. In many circumstances, you run the risk of burnout. There is too much emotional and, and physical energy expended when you have to call people in. And if it's something that's particularly very personal, I think it's the role of allies to step up and to do that calling in work when you're able to. I just wanted to uh, tell our listeners that coming up on the fifth quarter this week, Rana and I have an absolutely amazing discussion about these issues with Francis Awaratifi, who is a former socceroo and now a human rights 
lawyer and I really hope people will tune in because uh, he has a lot of very important observations to make on these issues and and heaps more. The podcast is us calling people in, by the way. <laughs> That's how much calling in is happening yes. here, Rana. This conversation kicked off because of the reason why I tweeted was because I wanted to see more diverse people on my screen. A beautiful video was put out um initially by Ang Rowan and it was then amplified by AFLW social media and then just kind of went viral, I guess, of Ang and her great aunt. She's teaching her great aunt how to kick the footy. They're a Vietnamese background and I just loved this video because it was such an authentic, beautiful moment between family. It was so relatable because a lot of people from migrant backgrounds do live communally like that with different generations in their home. It was a very real moment of bringing something from your culture as an Australian kid, you know, being born and raised here to your family members who might not be part of that culture. And it's no wonder that so many people loved it because it just, there was something truthful in that moment. And as someone who's grown up with a different cultural background, that feeling of I feel like I'm in two worlds has always bugged me and I've found really hard even on an identity level and this was a depiction of somebody who looks like they've kind of nailed that and is living just really authentically with a lot of contentment. The AFLW season has been confirmed as starting in January of next year. It's uh, something that we floated on the pod last week. Look, I think it's probably the best bet that we've got to make sure that we secure a whole season and also make sure that we can all get there and watch the games. Uh, so we rejig our calendars again. That just becomes something that used to be so difficult and is now so second nature. Katie, a huge story that was announced this week for some sisters in sport. Yeah, massive congrats to our friends over at Siren Sport who announced in the last few days a major new partnership with ABC News so uh, they're going to be partnering with the national broadcaster to build their work in championing women in sport and to add to ABC News's uh, sports coverage on, on women. Uh, you can go onto their website and have a look at the details, but essentially it's part of ABC News's commitment to gender equality 50-50 in the newsroom. So it's great to see them partner with Siren Sport in this way. But I encourage people to go and have a look because... What they say is that if you have a story that you would like to pitch to Siren Sport and potentially have run on ABC News, you can contact them directly. And so we encourage our listeners to do that. We know lots of people who tune into this pod have great stories and wonderful tales to tell, and we'd love to see them get elevated through that program. One such story could have been this week, Supercoach Mama, who was the first woman to win Supercoach, which is amazing and incredible effort. And also I noticed this week Sarah Hosking and Brooke Lachlan have got a football academy, which is very exciting. Lucy? Yeah, one other thing I saw this week that I thought was fantastic in terms of athletes using their voice to try and bring about change is some of our most loved and recognisable athletes across a whole lot of sports, over sort of 30 sports, about 300 athletes who have come together to sign an open letter which was initiated by David Pocock, who is the former Wallabies captain, and his wife Emma, 
calling for climate action. You can follow it at thecooldown.com.au. You can sign up to be kept up to date on what they're doing and their objective is for Australia to start punching above its weight in climate action the way that it does in sport. And what they want is for us to halve our emissions by 2030 and to reach net zero by 2050. It is almost time for us to get out of here. We've got a few treats left for you. I just wanted to pick up on something Kate said earlier, which is, of course, the fifth quarter comes out every Friday. Think of it as Sanctum with Benefits or the B-sides, whatever you like. (laughs) Um, But it is a Sanctum interview this week with Francis. It is such an extraordinary interview and he is just an incredible human. You are going to love this interview. That comes out on Friday. If you can rate and review us, get in touch on socials, make sure we're all connected during the finals on the socials so that we can enjoy the finals together. Tell a friend if you like this podcast, maybe they might like it too because every listener helps. This is one for our friend of the pod, Travis Spoke, not Travis Cloak. (laughs) We'll see you next week. There's only one thing left to say. Go footy! I can't sleep tonight. We're in a prelim, but something still don't feel right. Still, I can't close my eyes. 32 disposals and you confuse me with the other guy. A little love. Ooh, it's all I want. To be thought of like Dusty, Cyril and Bont. Why does no one acknowledge me? I've been a gun since I was about 17. Why does no one remember me? Even when Paul Power's winning, deep down I'm never grinning. I'm not Travis Cloak, though I'm sure that he's a really nice bloke. But he's the one that wears that glove. And I'm the one with no all-Australian love. He cha-cha-chad on Dancing with the Stars While I shimmy and tango cross midfield Why does no one acknowledge me? I've been a gun since I was about 17 Why does no one remember me? Even when the power's winning Deep down I'm never grinning Oh, why do they treat me so? Why don't I have brown low? Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.